So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, you've got myself, Archie and Leo here today. Uh, Toby will be joining us in a little bit, but uh, Classic Toby is running a little bit late. Yeah, we get up at 5am to podcast with our brother over in London and he can't even make the starting time. I know. I think he's dropped from the team. Uh, I wouldn't be that quick to send him off. I don't know if we're we're quite funny enough to carry this on on our own, but... We're funny enough, but not knowledgeable enough. Yeah, maybe that's it. Or maybe decreases their time just a little bit. But that's it. The penultimate round of Super Rugby is is now in the books, and we're one week closer to finals. And, yeah, there's uh, quite a few teams that are 100% eliminated now. Um, still 10 teams that are mathematically in with a shot for places in the finals. But we thought we'd go through and bit of have a bit of a look at which team we think is probably the best that's been eliminated, which team probably, whether they deserve to have a chance, probably uh, the most unlucky to miss out. And just so we go through the list, we have uh, Sunwolves, Blues, Reds, Bulls and Stormers all 100% eliminated now from this year's Super Rugby Finals. That's right. So the, the Bulls and the Stormers together are at the bottom of the South African Conference, same number of points. I actually think, even though the Stormers are slightly ahead on probably points difference, the the Bulls are probably the stronger team of those two. And I think early in the season, they just struggled to get their best team out on the field. I don't know why they were playing Jesse Creel off the bench. Uh, they 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 just didn't seem to be selecting what we thought was a stronger their strongest fifteen. Um, they're a strong a strong team when in possession. They know how to control control the game, control the ball. Uh, I think they've just got to get the selections right and get rid of that ridiculous Brazilian uniform they wear when they're in, <laughs> in their wayside. Get rid of the bad luck charm. Yeah, it definitely seems like it has been a bad luck charm for them. Um, they've also got a bit tough with injuries as well. Someone like Lou Diaga not being there for the probably the last five or so games has probably really hurt them as well. He quite inspires that forward pack. Yeah, exactly, and and. They'll freshen up over the off-season, and, and the Bulls, I think, will be one to watch uh, next year. The, the Stormers definitely bring a higher-energy game, more running rugby. We'll review their last-round game uh, this week when Toby gets in. And uh, But I suppose for the other teams, we think we think there's definitely a lot of potential in, in the Reds, Sunwolves, and Blues still too, which is good to see. There isn't, an, there isn't really an out-and-out weakest team, the, the Sunwolves do uh, still struggle a little bit when they're playing far from home. Uh, but with wins this year in Hong Kong, Singapore and Tokyo, uh, they're starting mm. to show that they they can they can play in front of a few different crowds, albeit those are considered home games. They're, they're definitely one to watch. They're bringing a, a new style into that team, into that squad. And they'll, they'll build a few uh, new connections and, and combinations over the off-season. I'll pick up a few more players, and, and I like the direction that team's going. Definitely. I think with the 
bit more stability, especially between sort of Parker and Michael Little at that 10-12 combination. Um, and he have a very stable group of halfbacks between uh, Tanaka and Nagare in that team as well. Um, you're getting a bit more consistency week from week, and they're, they're starting to lead that team around a little bit. And you can see if in they've become a very entertaining team to watch, and you see some of the plays they put together um, are amazing, and they catch even the best team sort of off guard, and they're, they're able to put points on any other team in this competition. Whether they can continue for the full 80 minutes is probably the thing that lets them down in a lot of games. Yeah, that or a, a red card... As, as through the season, we've seen a few cards fly and, and you know, crueled what was actually quite an entertaining game this this last round. But and this and this week for the Sunwolves with a with a game that isn't going to add add anything to their season, they can't climb off the bottom of the table. They're also playing the Reds, who uh, can't qualify for finals. So both teams will be uh, hopefully making a game of it. Then finally, the Blues. How good the Blues could have been with a full roster. Yeah, definitely another team marred by injury. You see you see what they can do when they have a full-strength team, when they do have Augustine Pulu leading them around near the start of the year. We're looking very strong. Obviously missing Sonny Bill Williams a little bit. And that also forces people like Rico Iwani out from playing loose outside the back where he's obviously best. Though he started to definitely make 12 look a little bit more comfortable for him in recent weeks. Yeah, I still think his his best spot isn't at twelve. Um, there was a bit of analysis uh, this week from I think it was the Fox Sports guys talking about Rico Ioani at twelve, and they were really talking down the way he's been playing. And they had a few examples from this week where um, the um, Hurricanes really targeted his channel, and and that's where we saw Lamapi run wild. So uh, interesting that they're picking up on some similar things as us. We all want to see Rico Ioani out wide, but they're only going to have that opportunity when they've got a healthy squad and they've got some uh, reasonably uh, talented guys if they're in the centres or, or they will start preferring Rico in that position. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely between forwards and backs, Blues, uh, definitely a strong side on paper when healthy and showed it at times during the year. So to summarise in all that, very good teams. I think the, I think the Reds... Uh, and the Sunwolves and the Blues are definitely ones to watch for next year and will we'll improve on what they've built this year. Mm. I think the Bulls are probably this year could have, could have, would have, could have, should have award goes to them. Should have probably been able to scrape into finals, but it uh, just shows you, the, shows you the strength of the South African Conference and, and even the mid, mid-tier groups in the other conferences. Yeah, so Stormers, obviously, their 2018 season is completely over, uh, playing their full 16 games now. What would you give them in sort of their grade for this season? I'm here! Hey, way to interrupt. Jesus. You know, this is what I do. I've got the sun in my eyes. I just ran in, and now I just want to talk some rugby. (laughs) (laughs) Sun in your eyes. Yeah, well, there's no sun in my eyes here at 5.23 in the morning, but, um, you know, 23 minutes late, that's, that's not so bad. I don't think it's a record. I think Archie's got the record. Well, yeah. I completely missed the whole day. Yep, no, that's probably yeah, we'll, right. We'll call that one a two hour, <laughs> two hours late before you woke up. I hey, I'm in charge of the recording, so as far as I'm concerned, that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, but that podcast never happened. <laughs> well, as, as far as England's concerned, rugby doesn't exist at this point. All I hear is it's coming home, it's coming home, and it's so annoying. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> 
I'm just like, please lose to Croatia so it doesn't come home and you can all be miserable. <laughs> it is their natural state of being. It's like, wait till you're in the final to actually get ahead of yourself. Honestly. There's just so much enthusiasm. It's ridiculous. All right, well, we don't really want to talk about soccer. I know. We'll, we'll leave just... to their to their mad World Cupness. Right, well, Toby, if I was grading the Stormers, which you can have a think about as well, I think I think they're definitely less than five out of ten. Just to just to put it in focus, so played poorly away from home, took far too late in the season to to find the the up tempo game that made them competitive. I think yeah, I think they are probably around a. A three or a four. Uh, they did. They did blood some uh, some young players in in the course of this season, which comes with its own its own risks and, and challenges. Um, guy like Willemser playing in the halves for most of the early season and and was really thro- thrown in the deep end in that respect. Uh, showed flashes, but uh, they couldn't really get good value out of him, and then he he slipped away. And they've had a bit of a rotating group there since. But it's still probably quite a one-dimensional game. I think they need to uh, be a little bit more creative, and and that comes out of that ten position, getting a, a good combination nine, ten, twelve, and then that way they'll surprise a few teams with some slightly different strategies in twenty nineteen. So all in all, I think it's probably somewhere around a three or a four uh, for the twenty eighteen season for the Stormers. Yeah, I think they've been pretty horrendous, to be honest, and. I mean, this is a team that we actually thought could top the conference, I think, maybe five, six weeks in when the Lions started to struggle. We did actually think they were going to, you know, they were hitting form and they were going to keep that form. But obviously, Willems are leaving, a few other things. I mean, they, they didn't win a game away from home, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So that's a, mass, that's a massive issue for them. And for such a, such a strong franchise that's been, con, you know, consistently successful across many, many years... This has got to be one of their worst seasons, I think. They're not lacking talent, really. It's just they've got to put it together and, and be consistent in their performances. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Leo, with one-dimensional. Um, they've got a lot of reasonable players, but probably people like Dialende are reasonably one-dimensional. You put him outside a rotating group of at number 10 because you had, what, Willemsar, you had Duplessis, you had... Um, Lades playing 10. You also had... Stander. Yeah, Stander, who made his debut this week as well, who didn't look bad, but it doesn't allow for much consistency and much more sort of... Not outlandish. What's the play like? Expansive. Expansive, that's it. Um, Yeah, it doesn't really allow for much more expansive play when you don't have those combinations and don't have a dual playmaker sort of in that team. I'm not sure who they would actually have next year. Like, the, the... Commentary during this this game on the weekend uh, actually started talking about player movements for next year, and that's who they actually, I suppose, put their put their eggs in the basket of the decide which which of these fly halves they're going to select and, and try and develop as the frontline guy, and and who they're going to let go. And as they've seen a fair few now, they're going to have to make some decisions and start investing some time and effort, and uh, send the boys all on summer camp together so they can hang out and get to know each other and bloody develop some combinations for next year. I'm not sure there's any doubt that it's going to be Willemser though. In, you know, overall, I think he was by far the standout. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, not that they were playing tremendously well just before he left, but in the lead up to that, 
you know, and they've just fallen off a cliff since he's left, really. I mean, I was very surprised they, they got across the line against the Sharks this last week, but I guess they probably found a little bit extra at home for their, their last game of the season. Look, there's not a whole lot to worry about there. I think they will come good next year. Um, they've still got, just even having guys like Dylan Lades in the team, like they really, you know, bring them to a new level. If you were to take him out of that back line and lose Dylan Lende or something, I think they'd be really, really lost. But, you know, they've got some great guys they can build around there. And I, I think, I think really they'll bounce back next season. I think all the South African teams in general are placed quite well for, for the future. They've got some good young players coming through across the board. So enough about these teams that are eliminated. We don't need to worry about them anymore for 2018. Let's get into some of the games from the weekend. Match report, round 18. And Friday night, our first game was Crusaders versus Highlanders, a bit of a local derby. And Crusaders, once again, solidifying their position at the top of the Super Rugby ladder, um, taking the Highlanders. And what started with a close one, but bit of a George Bridge sandwich with him scoring the first and last try of this game. Crusaders winning 45-22. to 22. It was a, a demonstration of the Crusaders who play through all 80 minutes plus of every game and certainly show no mercy. So they, they beat the Highlanders by 23-odd points and they, they didn't look like they were going to take a rest until a very final whistle where they just decided to kick it out, probably thinking no, no point in burning any more fuel for this week. But all game, they, they had the pressure on, up-tempo, Moana looking really comfortable, slicing through the line, putting other guys through the line, distributing well. And, uh, yeah, look, the Highlanders just, just couldn't match it. Crusaders are too powerful, and, and the Highlanders will have to settle as the other games play out who, who they're going to be playing in the finals and and it's not going to be a, a home game by the looks of things yeah well they've got that lock that top position now locked down so they'll probably rest a few guys this coming week but i was really impressed with the way richie moanga played in this game he just really directed them around well showed a bit of brilliance um on his own by scoring a good try and look, the highlanders are a good team and i think the crusaders just showed there is quite a gap there when when they're playing well they really are a cut above these other teams, and that's a bit bit of a worry for for someone like the or the other teams like the Hurricanes, for example, or the Tars. They just when the Crusaders are on, I don't think anyone can match them at the moment. Um, they just form the way they play together as a team. I think the Hurricanes might have a bit more talent, but they just seem to gel so well as a team, and they play for each other. And having someone like Kieran Reid coming back as well, playing in this game, you know, they're timing it perfectly for another run for a title. So when I was watching it, it was quite tight. I thought, you know, this is another kind of this, they call it the Southern Classic and it really was living up to that early on, but then they just ran away with it. And I think the Highlanders, um, you know, they're still a good team, but I don't think they're going to be title contenders this year. Mm. So yeah, you had Kieran Reid coming back, didn't lose, didn't look like he'd lost a step really, still it was very competitive the whole game um, up until sort of the 44th minute, I think he, he came back off. Obviously, Wyatt Crockett celebrated his 200th game. You're right, it was close early, and I think there was a big difference if the Crusaders had decided to take half-time um, when it was sort of 18-17 to 17 after that late Highlanders try. It would have been a very different feeling going to the half, but once again, the Crusaders did not give up, um, did not take the halftime easily, 
pushed for more, pushed for another score, and that came through Scott Barrett. And I was actually looking at the statistics I was mentioning to Leo a bit earlier. 15 games the Crusaders have played this year in eight of them. So over 50%. They have scored in that period between 35 minutes to half time, whether that be up to the 40th, 41st or 42nd. They just do not switch off. And it's a time when a lot of teams, other teams, do tend to look towards the break, look towards the half. And I think that that's where the Crusaders hurt you. They look to beat you and beat you in mindset going into the half, and that changes changes the way people look at it at the second half. Yeah, we know they're mentally very strong, that they that they have a, a very strict game plan, and they, they definitely execute all 80 minutes and, and more. And... It, it is something that uh, they want to be out on the field. They want to be playing rugby and other teams are looking for a rest and, and it's just relentless. And to be, to be down the Crusaders and they, and they put those extra points on you before the halftime break, I think probably the Crusaders know exactly how demoralizing that can be and use it as a, you know, if they can, if they can score and they take that opportunity, they, again, they trust their defense. They, they aren't worried about being, uh, overrun and conceding points if they if they try and attack right to the death, and they'll they'll take the opportunity if they can get it to really pound you in the ground. Yeah, they just have that killer instinct. You're right, Leo, and it's it's amazing that they can rest someone like Cody Taylor in a game like this. Start Andrew Macaleo, and he looks like he's been playing there for years. Like he just mm. looks so comfortable. For such a big guy, having that skill set, just these little pop passes, dummies, just running through the middle, like it's, it's just amazing to see the amount of talent that can come through that system, particularly through these channels through Canterbury and, and Auckland. Some amazing guys still coming through, and it just shows you that the yeah the level of depth in New Zealand rugby is just not. You know, no other country can live up to that at the moment, mm. um, and it's but, not dropping off. Yeah, it's. No, it's not dropping off at all. We're waiting for this lull where, you know, this golden period of all-black rugby, New Zealand rugby, is going to maybe taper off a little bit. And it doesn't seem like an end is in sight at the moment. Mm. They just seem like, you know, apart from the Blues probably underperforming consistently, the, the other teams are, are pretty strong, you know, year to year. So it's, it's, it's a bit disconcerting from an Australian point of view. But um, we'll talk about our teams a bit later. But I think... Australian rugby is much better placed than, say, it was last year. So that's encouraging to see as well. Yeah. So what about the Highlanders? They're a team now that's come back from the break, had two losses, neither at home, and now look to head home, look to verse the Rebels. And the biggest thing they can control is if um, how they stand up to a Rebels team that, you know, suffered a bit of a, as we'll talk about in a sec, a bit of a worrying defeat from the Queensland Reds um, this on Friday night as well. Yeah, the Highlanders one to fifteen, still a very good team, and against another team or at home, even to a New Zealand team, they're uh, they're definitely a formidable outfit. But Crusaders just make look everyone look second rate. Uh, the Highlanders certainly aren't second rate, and they'll be really fired up uh, after losing the Crusaders. They'll want to put in a good performance before the finals. They can drop all the way to eighth if results go away from them, which would face them up against the Crusaders again for a rematch, which they certainly would not want. Um, let's get into the Australian games, the Reds versus the Rebels on Friday night, and what we hoped the would be the Rebels solidifying their playoff spot. The Reds just came out strong, and 
they took the win this one, 37 to 23. Yeah, and it was a, it was an interesting game because again, the Rebels looked quite strong in in periods and I think they probably, you know, had a better game against the Tars than they did in this one, but the Reds again just kind of hung in there um, and were able to really pounce at the right time and late in the game brought everything together. John and Lance got a good try and you know, that that margin probably doesn't reflect how close the game was. It is definitely a period of time where the Rebels are still learning. Um, you know, on paper they should have taken this game and then it would have made their you know their run into the finals. Hopefully, to get to the finals a lot easier. But now they they put themselves in a very tough position to have to try and beat the Highlanders this coming week. So it's it's pretty tough for them. But just too many silly errors and you know being dominated a little bit of the set piece didn't help either. Yeah, we mentioned it in our preview last week. We said the Rebels forwards needed to step up and push the Reds forwards and and gain dominance in any in any aspect where. It was forwards on forwards, and they didn't do that. The the scrum from the Reds was really solid. They were stealing Rebels' lineouts, and uh, they just never got that dominance. And that meant that their backs couldn't really open up for the full eighty minutes. They still probably didn't play a full eighty minutes, and the scoreline maybe looks a little bit uh, out because they did miss a few kicks late in the game. Uh, so so there were opportunities for points there, and. Uh, an often reliable Reese Hodge just couldn't quite uh, sort it out for them. So disappointing for them. You know, that's an away game. They've gone up and the Reds have, have you know, been strong at home. They would have been wanting to, to lock that game away so that Tweak wasn't such uh, a pivotal game for their season. But, um, you know, it is going to be a proof of, of whether they've got what it takes to be a finals contender if they can go away to a New Zealand team and, and win their way in. Uh, as for the Reds, uh, Archie and I previewed it a bit before Toby got in, but we, we talked about the potential that's there in the Reds, and, and I don't think you... Uh, I think what you see in this game really indicates that they're definitely a, a strong contender next year when all these young bloods uh, spend a bit more time together. Just something that I saw this week outside the Reds, but in Queensland rugby generally, um, we saw that both Quaid and Carmichael playing club rugby again together over sort of a million dollars in contracts from the Queensland Reds. Do you think 2019 will see either of them join back onto the Queensland Reds squad at any point? I don't think so. I Look, it's, I'm a bit torn on this one. I, I'm happy for Quaid to move on. I wouldn't mind seeing Carmichael Hunt come back. I know it's, it's a pretty big stretch for Brad Thorne to have to you know, allow someone like that. It has had two clear indiscretions to come back in. You know, James Slip is another one as well that we, we can't forget. Um, and he's got a two-year contract with the Reds. So I, I think that you've seen, you've seen Frisbee being snapped up this week by Glasgow Warriors up into the Pro 14. Um, I expect Quaid to be, unless he just wants to sit out for the next... I think he's got another year on his contract, he so does. he'll be sitting out another year in club rugby. I just can't see him doing that. Like, I know he can t- take the money, um, and his life is a lot easier just playing club rugby, but I can't see that that's very fulfilling for him in the latter years of his career. Um, I'm sure he'd rather be, you know, in the Premiership rugby over here in the UK or in the French Top 14 or something like that, where it's, you know, he's playing at a higher level. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that he's out of Wallaby's contention altogether, 
but I don't think Brad Thorne's going to allow Quaid back in. Um, I think Carmichael's a stretch. Probably James Slipper is the only one that I could possibly see coming back in just because of his overriding circumstances with his kind of mental state and the stuff he was going through. So that could be, you know, someone who could come back in just because he was captain before and he has such a good standing at the Reds previously. But I don't see the other guys really featuring. Yeah, I think I agree with Toby. I think the the issue for Quaid and maybe even Carmichael will be how fulfilling is it playing in a club competition in Brisbane? You think about when you're a stronger player in the side and you're trying trying more expansive things, more you know, more difficult moves and, and the guys around you can't support that. It can be frustrating because you, you want to do those things. You know you're good enough and they can't do it with you. So uh, that that's a reason I think they'll want to keep playing and, and seek a, a high level of competition. None of none of what Brad Thorne has said, assuming we take him on his word, has related to those guys spending time away in order to, you know, change something about themselves or or that they've pretty much just been ruled out because Brad Thorne doesn't like their personality or their their fit to his team. So I don't think time is an element here. I don't think time heals anything uh, unless unless it's just the pressure of time. Uh, and other other stakeholders around the coach trying to push these guys back into him. I don't think Brad Thorne has, has set any goalposts for, oh, if, you, if the guys were to do this, I'd consider them. He's just said, no, nah, we're not considering them. And it's got nothing to do with how long they're away. I think you're probably right, which is a bit of a shame in one sense, but um, you got to admire the culture and the reserve resolve that Brad Thorne is bringing to that club. Sorry, I got a sidetrack there. Uh we should probably talk about sort of what the Rebels need to improve um, to beef up themselves for, for the finals for this week versus the Highlanders and hopefully playoffs. Um, you saw that their backs are still dangerous. The first two tries they scored between sort of Cottrell was a good sort of quick return through Hale Petty, Hodge and Ruru um, sending Cottrell over in the corner and then Maddox just an open play, just spots gaps and has the gas to open up a team. But... Too many penalties, I think, is the big thing that sort of hurt them. The Rebels conceded sort of 17 penalties in this game to only 11 that the Reds had. Yeah, look, I think it really does stem... Their problems generally stem from the Fords not being dominant, and I think missing Adam Coleman is a big part of that. Their front row still isn't working well. You saw a veteran like Tatera Faulkner get dominated by Tongan Thor. Um, Jermaine Ainsley wasn't particularly impressive and I think Rangi has his moments but he's a little bit inconsistent as well so it, it is very tough um, they have made a lot of changes in the past and we, we wanted them to stick with a certain you know formation in their back row and, and get some consistency through selections in their forwards but I'm not sure this is the best team they can put out there at the moment like I would like to see Tamani come back in perhaps um, you, you can see Le when Marfi so much every week. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of talent. You've got to give him it. You, you watch. He's going to leave the Rebels if he continues to miss out, which is a big shame for Australian rugby. And you can see when Marfi isn't dominant, they really, really struggle. Like they just don't have the carries. I think Matt Phillips kind of playing out of his skin at the moment. Last few weeks, he's been really impressive, but they're just not getting that ascendancy. And the Reds really showed them how to do it. Um, which we see in kind of flashes of brilliance, the Reds kind of 
you know, can differ between their week-to-week performances. But when they're on, they really are dominant, and the Rebels just couldn't match up to them very well at all. I think the like the, what you're saying about the front row is true. I, I think I'm trying to remember how many times I've, I've seen them actually hitting the ball up in general play and being active in attack, and that there's no real standout for me in, in the front three in that sense. I don't actually think the scrums, they, they became very one-sided. I don't think Tatera Faulkner was as dominated as it seemed by the number of penalties. I think he, he was maybe no. dominated early and then then was competing much more strongly. But really, by then, the, the tide had turned and the referee had decided that he wasn't holding up his end. Um, so I wouldn't rate him too low for, for that. I think that just came with, with a bit more game time. The Rebels, I think that I think what we saw with Maddox, particularly that Maddox try, they can leverage Maddox, the skills of a guy like Maddox when they bring him into the line as either a first receiver or that or that wrapping, like a wrapping first receiver. So w- without putting him at ten, use him a bit more as a playmaker, and and that'll take some some load off Hodge, who is serviceable as a ten. But he's, I, I, I don't think he's a 10, really, and, and he's really just making sure they've got strong defense and fairly accurate, if not creative, um, ball movement in that position so that the ball's actually getting where it needs to be. But it's, it's nothing special. I think that if the, if the ball gets in the hands of Maddox inside a bit more often, I think they can do a little bit more with their backs. But ultimately, this is their team, there, there isn't too much more to add back in unless they get Genia and they get Coleman. This is what they're working with, and, and they've shown that it can work, and I just think it's it's that arrangement. Once the forwards get some dominance, uh, it's it's, the, it's using the backs well, and I think Maddox needs to be closer to the ruck. I think he needs to be handling the ball more often I think, and, and opening things up more often for that for that back line. I'd put him in at 10. Get rid of Billy Meeks, put him at 12. Keep English at 13. I think nah, there's this kind not of... not going to do it a week They're too apprehensive with this. Too late. Too late. They're gonna, I, think they're... I tell you what, they're going to bow out first week of the finals, no doubt, if they keep the team as is. Even if they beat the Highlanders this week, which is a massive stretch in itself, they're going to go out first round. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I think they've... To, to chop and change again may be unnecessary. That's why I'm suggesting that... Using no, Maddox in your, in your plays like a 10 uh, means you don't have to make that change and it actually gives you more options, yeah. but I think they just need to do more of it and I think it can work without having to put him in at 10 because, you know, to Thank give him to ch- change the team and the, the game you've got to win to make the finals and then the first finals game you've got to win to keep going, it's, it's a lot of pressure. I think you're better off letting him inject off the wing. Oh, they won't do it. They won't do it, but it'll be interesting. Just to clear up, they don't they don't have to win this game, but it does mean that the Haguaros have to win. So they can still lose this and still make the finals. Um, but it does give them a chance if they win this to well it actually gives them a chance to actually either play the Crusaders or potentially come back to Sydney and play the Waratahs. Um, which wouldn't really be the most ideal for us because it takes both Australian teams out in or at least one of them out in the first round of the finals. Look, I think the Rebels might even have... If they've been in talks with Matt Tamua, I can imagine them being like, well, this season's kind of... We are rebuilding. We're still kind of formatting our team. And if they have their eyes on another person coming in at fly half, I think they're just content at rolling with with Hodge for now and not really... You know, you don't want to crush 
Jack Maddox's confidence. He's already, you know, come a long way in one year. I think you're right. They're not going to throw him in this late stage, but I think overall, long term, they don't see him as the number ten. I just, I think they would have made that change already if they did. Mm. Um, looks like Jab- Jack Debrasini is just, you know, resigned to that backup role for this year, and then he, he might even be off the roster after that. But yeah, I think the Rebels look. They have a lot of potential. It's just, yeah, they they're not consistent enough at this level to be really threatening, um, whether in, they're in the finals or not. Well, let's jump ahead to the next game. We can talk a bit more about that upcoming game when we get to previews. Uh, The Chiefs out of Waikato had the Brumbies come to town and probably what we thought was going to be a much more one-sided affair. Um, But the Brumbies showed that last week wasn't a fluke. They kept this close, giving a strong showing at the end to sort of try and come back in this game and looked like they were almost going to make it, but couldn't, couldn't quite make up those points in the last sort of 10 minutes. Chiefs winning this one, 24-19. Yeah, and actually robbed there right at the death of, of a final opportunity, a, a last gasp attempt uh, to put this game away. They they conceded a knock-on, but it was actually after a Chiefs knock-on right in front. So mm. opportunity uh, to have a scrum there before the hooter, and it, and it didn't come to be, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, yeah, again, g- good signs. We're seeing signs of life in the Brumbies. Uh, Dan McKellar's maybe settled in, in how he wants them to play. Uh, and and we saw a lot out of uh, Tavita. Uh, we saw a lot out of their the rest of their back. We saw a lot out of Banks, which was really good. Um, in, in my head, I'm mentally trying to figure out where he fits in the Wallabies 23 because I want to see him in there. I don't know that he's got enough of a point of difference on other players to to make it, but really good to have him performing well. Um, Joe Powell still erratic, still not passing particularly accurately and and Leo Fano just just not looking like strong passing the ball a few balls not making their target uh, and that definitely changed when uh, Faranui Huera came on um, but just generally in the forwards still strong still competing and, and the Chiefs pack is is no slash they've finally found some health and they've got a lot of guys back so they're only really missing Brody Retallick that I could tell uh, so, yeah, like that really, really promising signs that the Brumbies could be that competitive in, in I guess, a do-or-die game for them. They would have liked the win to keep themselves, you know, more reasonable chance of the finals. They're still, we've said that they can still make it, but really they needed to win last week to have a real good chance at, at breaking into that finals group and controlling their own destiny. Yeah, it really does hurt their sort of chances. As we said, it's only really a mathematical chance at this point. I agree with sort of... Powell and Leliafano, and I wanted to ask you guys whether you think come next year, do you think that's going to be a 9-10 combo that's going to be there? Do you think either of them are going to be starting still? Do you think they'll still be hanging with Powell? Because I I honestly could see someone else coming in and taking that a bit better, um, taking hold of that position with two hands and sort of taking that role. Yeah, I think you'll see Joe Powell they're at least, you know, starting off the season next year. It's a really difficult one with Lilo Fano because of, I think, the context of what he's been through, being in cancer and the amount of, you know, he's been a real loyal servant to Brumby's rugby. So I think it would be tough for them just to cut him loose. It's whether he kind of shifts maybe into a coaching capacity. I don't think he's the answer going forward at 10. Um, it is It is a question whether you can get, entire say Matt Tamil to come back 
Um, Because I think having someone a bit more experienced would help Joe Powell a lot. But it's still like number 12 is still a position that needs to be fixed up as well. So it's whether, guys, do you think, say they retain Powell and they retain retain Lili Afano, could Matt Tamua play 12 for them? And then they've got Kurundrani there at 13 and they've got Tom Banks at the back and a couple of good wingers. Could that work? Maybe. It's um, back to the future, but you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's back to three years ago. It is definitely like back, back to 2013 yeah. when they were making finals and playing the Chiefs, and a lot was going well for them. So, mm. it's whether someone like Matt Samuel would want to come back into an environment like that, and you know, would he rather go? Okay, look at the Rebels setup. I've got a lot more talent around me there. I, I know where I want to go. I wouldn't be going to the Brumbies, but. You know, I don't I think, think the answer lies with Hawera or Lili Fano as as the key playmaker. They need someone else there. I think I think Tamua would probably look at in, in any player's uh, mind. Like you look at going back to a team you played at before. If you can see the teams on the rise again and you want more success with them, then that's a reason to go. But if you look and see, well, hang on, a lot of the same people are there and they're struggling a little bit. Am I the thing that's going to lift this team? all on my own back or hey look at that team over there they're definitely on the rise look at all the talent they've got out and played with a bunch of these guys before but they look like a really top bunch top bunch of blokes and they're already having some success i'll add my my small offering to them as well and as a group we might be you know right up in the top elites and i think that's much more tempting for a player like matt tamur who's coming back he's he's got a bit more uh, experience out of the Northern Hemisphere, and and I, I don't think he'd want to go back into a Brumbies setup with a a Paolo Lefano himself TK combination. I, I think that would definitely feel like you know Back to the Future, and I think Paolo is you know, has been signed as a long term option, and I don't think that changes unless someone of significance shows up on the doorstep. Like if somehow uh, Jake Gordon spun out of the the Waratahs because he was desperate for a starting spot and he decided he was better off competing with Powell. But all the all those sorts of things, I think Powell stays there unless unless you get something significant like that. And and again with the context, I think Leofano's earned somewhat earned the right to um, continued consideration. But I would rather than persevere with someone like Pawera, even though he's probably not the long term ten. Um, but then you know there's potential there that I don't think we've we've seen all of yeah i've liked to wear it in parts he, he often i think needs a few more stable heads around him and you're right 12 is now going to be a gap with obviously kyle goodwin um godwin leaving the leaving the australian shores next year in any case but it will be interesting um if they do get someone else coming in because you can you could easily see one of the reds halfbacks or something making a trek down because they do have three people there in my head for some reason i still feel like the reds would want to keep like tate mcdermott and hamish stewart together because they've played a lot together um so whether you, you could see someone like Sarovi leaving queensland rugby and coming down to the nation's capital um i think something like that would be very interesting if something like that eventuated throughout this sort of off season yeah you're right because i think matt lucas not sure he's a starting halfback at Super Rugby level, so that's, you know, if you're not going to go with Joe Powell, there's there's no one really waiting in the wings there. So maybe there's going to be some movement around the the franchises. But again, if you're, you're Tamua and you're offered to play between Will Genia and Reese Hodge, 
you're probably going to take that opportunity, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Two Wallabies. Um, give me a couple words on the Chiefs this week. Uh, they obviously got another win um, on a bit of a roll at the moment and staying in Wakata this week, but facing the Hurricanes. Oh, Chiefs just looking really, really comfortable and, and, and tight in their, in their attack and, and strong in their defense. They did have to fight off the Brumbies in this game. Um, definitely contending for the, the top end of that uh, conference there. I think, think they could definitely hoist the, the Hurricanes off, um, off second place. I think the Chiefs will struggle in the playoffs. I think they're dangerous, but they just don't have the consistency. McKenzie does look a lot better. I don't think we're too worried about him now um, playing at 10. And they do have a lot of threats across the park, but I still see the Crusaders and Hurricanes as probably the top tier, and then you have the Highlanders and Chiefs probably around the same sort of level. Yeah, with the Chiefs, I think they 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 kind of thrive in open play, and they, they really score some good tries, but I just I don't know defensively they really have it together against the top teams. And it's a bit hard with them because they tend to pull out these amazing performances and then two weeks later they're a totally different team. So you can never really pick them. Mm. Um, but again, they're a bit of a dark horse for the finals, so you can't completely write them off either. So let's let's keep going. And the Hurricanes and Blues was the next game up. And Trifest, and what a difference it makes having someone like Bowden Barrett leading that back line around. We went from one week where we weren't even sure Lau Marpy was on the field to this week, he scores four tries. The Hurricanes win 42-24. to 24. Yeah, all you hear is just, La Marpy! It's that man again! La Marpy! Nanny La Marpy! He didn't leave us wondering, did he? We, we knew he was there four Three. times and, and, a, and a try assist. Imagine, like, the amount of pace he hit that ball with. Is this ridiculous? Like, the guy's oh, powerful which enough. Which time? But he was just which hitting... time? <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Yeah, that's right. Like, he's... I don't know. You're right, though. Bowden Barrett makes all the difference. And this is the performance that the Canes needed. I, I kind of picked this. I said oh, I thought they'd win by about 20, and they'd really come out firing, and they did that. Um, I mean, the Blues, again, we know what the Blues are like, but, you know, it's it's pretty pretty impressive. I think if the Canes can do that again this coming week and really put together a good performance... They're going to threaten for the title. I don't think there's any question about that. They're probably going to get Artie Sevilla back soon. Um, I didn't even realize Brad Shields was coming back in, but he's there. Yep. Uh, and then Gareth Evans wasn't even starting. Like They've got a fair few guys that can slot back into that starting lineup. Um, and I think you'll see probably the Canes of old come back to life. Yeah, don't have too much to add for the, the Canes. They are just with Barrett, and when they're on, they are... Really, really on and yeah, Blues are a weird team. They they really lifted for Kano's last game or last home game, but yeah, I think they just kind of probably used most of their energy in that one, and they just kind of got blown away by the Canes. It's pretty crazy that Canes miss guys like Vince Sasso, Matt Proctor, um, Gareth Evans not starting, um, even Dane Coles for the whole season, like. Their, their depth is ridiculous. You sit Ben Lamb and you still put on 40 points. Mm. It's kind of unheard of, really. Um, and that's why it's interesting to compare them to the Crusaders because they're a very different team, like the set of teams. Canes are a lot more raw and just like raw talent across the board. And on their day, they can carve it up. Whereas the Crusaders 
seem to kind of piece it together like a jigsaw puzzle and they're they've still got talent but they really work well as a unit so they're a lot more consistent it's going to be a fascinating final series if these two you know if the canes and crusaders end up meeting i think yeah, well, Hurricanes have what seems like a two-game series now coming up against the Chiefs because likely they'll head to Waikato this week to verse them and then have to come back to Wellington and verse them again in the first round of the playoffs, both of those sitting in that fourth and fifth spot. Let's move on to a game that myself and Leo were attending, and that was the Waratahs versus Sunwolves this week, and it was a bit of a back-and-forth towards the start. A few sort of... Uh, I won't say lucky, but opportunistic tries for the Sunwolves, keeping them in it, and it was quite looked, shaping up quite an interesting game. Then, obviously, we got a red card to Masawira uh, for a tip tackle on Bernard Foley, and the Waratahs just ran rampant, 77 points to 25. Yeah, really, really good game for 25, 30 minutes, whatever it ended up being uh, before that, that card. Um, that was really competitive it, there was some luck involved but it, it had us on the edge of our seats um sun Wolves showing their attacking prowess and and taking as many opportunities as they were offered uh waratahs linking things up at times but but not certainly not dominating um the forwards were were very strong uh and and that's probably the good sort of the platform they built early and then that once the the numbers uh skewed for the Waratahs, the, the the backs really were allowed to open up, and and a record uh, record twelve tries for the Waratahs in this game, and their I think was it their biggest winning margin in in the club's history. I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. So that's so, that's pretty impressive, and 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 that's again without without um, suggesting that seeing a one sided game is enjoyable. It is definitely enjoyable and, and, and good to see a team like the Waratahs put on those points and, and just demonstrate what they can do when they are at that advantage. If you if you see a team struggle against a weakened opposition to to link it all up, that's that's a bad sign. So it's it's probably not much more than a big confidence boost for the Waratahs moving into finals. They won't take too many lessons to, to, to alter their tactics and strategy from that game, but but definitely a, a solid boost to say, yeah, look, when we had the num- numerical advantage, we put it to bed, no mercy, lots of points. Everyone's, you know, pretty cheery after that game. And this is something that the, you know, if the Crusaders had an opportunity like this, they'd do the same thing. And we've seen in previous years the Waratahs not take advantage of situations like this and perhaps just relax a little bit. Um, and not not finish the game properly, but they they played right to the end here. They scored as many tries as they could, and although you can't take maybe a lot of lessons away from this game, I think it was just you know keeping the group happy, positive, really content with the way they're playing is going to mean a lot leading into the finals. Um, they've had a lot of healthy like they haven't had a lot of injuries this year, which has really helped. I think you know Dempsey's still out, and we've got Hooper obviously missing, but. Apart from that, we've had a really kind of consistent set of selections from Gibson for a long time now. Uh, I think it's really helping in terms of building these combinations. And, you know, Rona's looking really good at 13. We're not chopping and changing with Fichetti. You know, even the bench is pretty solid. I still would like to see Shambek Lavui in there for, for Paddy Ryan. He just doesn't seem to offer anything when he comes on. But overall, there's, I'm not sure how you guys feel, but there's not a whole lot of guys that I would say you know, 
we'd be changing around, whether it be on the bench or the starting lineup. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's nice to see a stable team. It's nice to see them put it together in a big sort of 50-plus point win um, that we're probably not that used to. And I think it does set us up well for the finals um, to see sort of the Waratahs take a, take that advantage. They're, they're sitting in second spot overall. want to see them hold on to that, which means getting another win versus the Brumbies this week and then setting themselves up for a couple of home games um, in this finals, whether that's starting off against the Haguaras, if you look at the way it's settled now, um, and then probably having play host to one of the really top um, New Zealand teams after that. I think the important thing is that we get that home final. That's very important. You know, the Waratahs do play a lot better at home, and I think if we do have to play away later on in the finals, if we make it through the first round or so, I think we can roll with that. We've shown in the past that we can rise to the occasion, but, you know, if we can stay at home as long as possible, I think that really, really helps us a lot. Um, You've got someone like Israel Folau just really, really in strong form. And I think guys like that in the forwards, it'd be lovely to have Hooper back in time, but I think if he's not there, we've been really, really impressed with Will Miller. Um, He had a great game on the weekend. Um, Just was everywhere. And he really shows his pilfering ability. Um, but also in general play, he's always there backing up for tries, you know, making some important passes and, you know, setting up tries as well. So he's kind of got a really well-rounded game and he, he goes easily for 80 minutes. So it's a really, really handy replacement to have for, for Hooper. And, I mean, even when Hooper comes back, you could see him play six. I mean, it would be hard-pressed to drop Hannigan at the moment, but... Um, it's not out of the question. Yeah, we've seen in the past, obviously, they have played Hannigan in the second row, so whether <laughs> they would do that and move him back into six to keep that stability in that back row between um, what it was previously with Wells Hooper and um, Will Miller, but definitely has taken his opportunity and stepped up well in this game. Um, bit bit of a props just before we keep moving on to Yamada. Uh, a couple of tries in this game for the Sun Wolves and... I haven't seen Falau stood up like that um, in a long time, actually. Just got stood up and didn't even really get a hand on Yamada running past him for the Sunwolves only try in the second half. Yeah, he's a good player. All right, and we'll get in the South African conference games. And um, we had a feeling the Bulls might take this one out, and they did. The Bulls versus the Haguaras over in Pretoria. Um, Bulls winning this one in quite a high-scoring game, 43-34. to um, this just started this run of those um, teams in playoff contention between the Rebels, Hags, and Sharks all losing this week and keeping that get- race really alive still. So when you say we, when you say we had a feeling. I was talking to you, Leo. Me and me and you, right? Because I'm pretty yeah, sure that's, did that's, Toby. That's Toby was sort of a bit incredulous about this. I'm pretty sure he was he was back in the Haguaras. The is that is that right, Toby? He certainly was. He's been yeah, very they quiet. just let me down. They just let me down. As they should say, should say they got a great start. They got their they got the start they needed. They um they got a lot of points down early, and and the Bulls really had to work hard to come back in this game. But I think that's something that Archie and I recognised in the Bulls was that that really never say die spirit. So it was a competitive game. It was a good game. Um, lots of running rugby, lots of good attack. Um, I don't think the defence was particularly poor. The, the 
the guys were all just run like both sides had guys running on hard onto the ball, running good lines and, and creating opportunities. So um, good to see a team that, again, we, we're right on the outer, unlikely to qualify for finals and now eliminated. Um, didn't didn't give it up in front of a home crowd. Um, and and I don't think there's much to be worried about with the Hagawaras coming into finals. I think they're still just as uh, challenging as, as they were on when they were on their winning streak. Yeah, I mean, they had, a, they had an amazing start to this game and got me a little bit carried away when I was watching it. Um, but I think, I talk about this a lot, but the altitude, I think, got them in the end in Pretoria. Um a lot of teams, I think, come in with the mindset that it won't be in, in, you know, won't impact them at all. But you can clearly see that in the last, say, 20, 30 minutes of this game, they really fell off, um, and the Bulls just know how to play in those conditions, and they just bided their time and consistently plugged away and got there in the end. So, Bulls, you know, like we're not going to see any more of them in the playoffs this year, but they're definitely a team that's probably surpassed expectations this season. Um, and the Hags, after having what seven wins in a row, couldn't make it eight. And now, I, you know, it makes me question how they're going to go against the Sharks this week, who are, you know, such a desperate team to make the finals with a lot of talent. Um, you know, we're not going to be worried about any sort of altitude coming into play in the second half because it's at Durban. But something tells me that, you know, the Jaguars they play with when they're with, when they're confident. They're a different team. When they start to lose it and get the wobbles a little bit, they seem to just fall off a cliff. And I wouldn't be surprised if they start emulating the, the performances of the, the Pumas a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right, Lee. I wouldn't be, wouldn't be counting on them to do too much in the finals. That's not what I said at all. That's what you That's said. That's the opposite you said of what I said. A threat. No, no, I said I'm not worried about them based on one loss. I said this loss doesn't worry me. That doesn't make sense. No, like because they've lost momentum and they've had a loss, but they didn't look bad in their loss. <clears throat> so I, I don't think they've actually lost ground um, really? just because of this one. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's okay. my point. I know it's I know it's odd. Maybe it's odd, but I don't I don't think that that was a bad game for them. The Bulls were, you know, a real real contender in that game, and they they managed to get the win. And I don't think the Haguaros played badly. So. This week they come into Durban. They've got to beat a team playing away. They've proven they can win away, and with the finals on their doorstep, they they know they need to step up. And it's you know all all these teams that are playing for a finals berth, Sharks and the and the Rebels, they're playing for their season, and their opposition isn't from the same conference or sorry even the same country. So the Jaguars aren't going to go soft on the Sharks to help them get in. So all of these games are going to be a contest, and, and I'm not I'm not worried. I'm not saying the Haguaras win and, and win the comp or anything, but I, I don't I don't feel worried after one loss to the Bulls. I think they're just as competitive going in against the Sharks, and and they'll know how meaning how important this game is. I mean, I I just think it showed a certain fragility in the Haguaras, but it, it was still a close game, so I guess you can't read too much into it. Um, I just feel like maybe they had their run and maybe they peaked a little bit too early for this final series. Certainly possible. Potentially, yeah. and you do look at the... You talk about they have been able to have success on the road. They haven't actually been able to win in South Africa this year. Um, they've won, obviously, in Australia and New Zealand, but haven't had any wins against their conference opponents in South Africa. 
Um, so that might be one thing they need to try and tick off and they'll get, obviously, their opportunity versus the Sharks. Speaking of the Sharks, we we alluded to this a little bit earlier, Leo. Um, the Stormers and the Sharks and the Stormers obviously coming out hard. The Sharks really needing to get the win to try and make that playoff spot. And it looks like they might they might struggle here because obviously they have to play the Hagiwaritas this week. Um, but the Stormers coming out victors at Newlands, 27-16. I'd only get to cheer with myself on this one because I'm the only one that tipped that. Uh, and to be honest, it didn't look like it was going to happen uh, based on the start of the game. Like I, I was worried that the Sharks brought energy and physicality and dominance early on. But they're still just not quite clinical enough. Robert Dupree has got a lot of potential, but he does throw some wayward passes. He doesn't link up that neatly into his own back line. Uh, the forwards handling to each other isn't as uh, solid and reliable as a lot of other teams, particularly the New Zealand team. So the, the Sharks still have a lot of areas for improvement. And I think we, we only see them at their best when all those elements come together. Uh, will it happen... Uh, it, did, it didn't quite happen against the Stormers, and it's question marks over whether it'll happen at home for them against the Hagiwaras. It's hard to make, you know, something of the Sharks week to week. They're such a different team, and they're just they're still learning and they're still growing as a team. I, I I'm not sure. I always kind of get ahead of myself in picking them because I look at the team sheet and I see such a strong team with a lot of talent across. You know, pretty much every position, but they do go a little bit wayward at times still. Um, and it is, it is a little bit. I mean, apart from, I mean, the Lions, Lions have been pretty good um, amongst. They've had some injuries, and I think that's really plagued them. Um, but at full strength, the Lions are a pretty consistent team. But the other South African teams are, I think, still a little bit in transition. I think the Sharks. They get into the finals. They could do something. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, it's really hard for me to, to even tip them against the Jaguars because both those teams seem a little bit similar in some ways. That when you think you're going to get a good performance out of them, they just they just don't bring it. Mm. <clears throat> I'll take a second to congratulate the Seattle SeaWorlds um, because Major League Rugby, the first year of competition, has wrapped up. And the Seattle Seawolves, backed um, by the Canterbury Rugby Club and Crusaders, may I say, um, took the win over the Glendale Raptors in the final. So congratulations to them. Uh, probably probably going to see um, that competition start to grow fast and grow big for, for the American and North American continent. And what I'm excited about, I, I think it's still very much in its... You know, obviously it's in early stages and maybe the level of rugby isn't quite there at the moment. But this could pave the way for a West Coast super rugby team, whether that be in LA or San Francisco, San Diego, San Diego, uh, whether that be in San Francisco, LA, San Diego, or even Seattle itself. Um, I think that is in the realm of possibility going forward for super rugby. And look, I think we're pretty happy with the product at the moment. I don't think we should be tinkering with it in the next, say, five years. But looking towards, say, 2030, something like that, if Super Rugby is still in the same kind of format it is, I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of expansion into North America. Um, so I think this kind of paves the way for that, and hopefully they can build you know, a bit of a following 
um, amongst these teams and and really start to to bring a product to you know a population that can support another code and and really you've seen that with football with major league soccer i think major league rugby can do a similar thing you heard it here first folks super pacific rugby coming to you in 2030 super pacific are you talking about getting rid of savory or i think they'll take themselves out by 2030 <laughs> maybe well the problem is that and we've heard this before this year like all the money's in europe at the moment so South Africa have tested the waters by putting in the Cheetahs and, and Southern Kings into the Pro 14, and they've already seen some benefits to that. So it's whether they're keen to maybe displace some of the Italian teams in the Pro 14 and bring the other, say, three or four teams up from Super Rugby and be playing all in that time zone. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things develop. At the moment, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, if Super Rugby continues to maybe plateau a little bit in terms of its following and, and the money behind it, you may see South Africa look to a, to another competition to support itself. That's a, that's a conversation that we can go on all day, so let, let's not get bogged down in that. Um, I'm, I'm keen to see some of these US teams maybe start touring a little bit around sort of um, Australia in their off-season stuff. I'd love to be able to go down and see a, a Waratahs versus Seattle game or something. That'd be a great great spectacle to see final round all right last round of super rugby and this is a lot of games that are count towards a lot in this in this round and we start up with the friday afternoon clash between the chiefs and hurricanes out of waikato and what i mentioned earlier probably um got to be a home and away fixture with likely these two teams meeting in the first round of playoffs I'm pretty comfortable taking the Canes in this one, um, particularly on the back of that performance against the Blues. The Chiefs will still be competitive, um, but I think the Canes just have a you know a bit too much firepower for them, as we've said over a number of weeks. And I think they've kind of broken that streak of losses now. The Canes and they're they're back to kind of you know their best, and they're going to really come in strong into the finals. So I don't think any of these teams will be resting players. It's there's still a lot on the line there. Um, but yeah, give me the Canes by ten. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a stretch to see the Chiefs, the Hurricanes in the table. So they would have to win with a bonus point and put at least twenty three or so points on them to get that points difference to turn around. The likelihood here is that the Hurricanes do get them with Bowden, um, but I think it'll be close. I think the Chiefs will be wanting to make as big an impression as they can this week because of the home and away. Uh, set up they will they will fall into in the finals so um, they definitely want to shake the Hurricanes as best they can to give themselves a, a chance of, of rolling them in the first week of the finals I'll take the Hurricanes I'm going to go against you guys and I'm going to take the Chiefs I think it's a definitely a long shot but the Chiefs at home show that they are a bit of a force and they can come out strong and firing um, and they can probably shock the Canes into submission a little bit um, I would love to see that happen and then them have to go back to um, Wellington in the first round of the playoffs and see whether they can hold on to those momentum or not. Um, either way, it's going to be a great game. That night, we have a bit of a more of a dead rubber in this competition. Um, the Reds taking on the Sunwolves. Sunwolves unable to lift themselves out of 15, 15th spot in the comp, um, but Reds would be hoping to make another strong showing. 
Yeah, and and we want to see what the Reds are going to bring and as signs of next year, and and also it's the final chance for Reds players to impress before the the rugby championship. So it, it might not mean much in the context of Super Rugby, but there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of big performances um, and a lot of players trying to trying to impress in this game. And and I'll, I'll be tipping the Reds. I think the Sunwolves will will keep it exciting and and it could be could still be pretty electric but the the home team with their forward grind I think they can uh they can definitely get the dominance there and even with a patched up back line um I think they've got enough to to beat the Sunwolves. Yeah, it's interesting because the the Reds really have struggled this season as we know to score points and the Sunwolves haven't although they they are liable to concede a lot of points as well. If you go back to round 13, Sunwolves beat the Reds in Tokyo 63 to 28. So my hope is that Brad Thorne's reminding, you know, the Reds of that performance and saying, boys, come on, we've got to be better than that. We've got to close out the season well. Even though we're not going to be in the finals, we want to really, you know, go off and um, finish on a high note. And I know the Sunwolves will want to be doing the same. Um, I suspect they'll still be without... Jonathan, uh, sorry, I suspect they'll still be without Jamie Joseph. He had surgery, I think, last week, and they'll probably just have Tony Brown running the ship there. Um, I have enough confidence in the Reds that I think, you know, based on that performance against the Rebels, I think they can build on that and hopefully come out, defend really well and keep the Sunwolves at bay. Um, I still think it might be, you know, you're looking at 30 to 20 or something, a scoreline of that. I don't think it's going to be a massive blowout or anything, but... Yeah, I'm with you, Leo. I think the Reds can get it done. Yeah, give me the Reds in a revenge game. See if they can take back a bit of pride from that um, previous loss that really hurt them um, earlier in this season. But let's get into the Saturday games, probably where the big money is here. And starting off early at a 3.15 game, um, the Highlanders at home at Forsyth Bar taking on the Rebels. (laughs) And we've been um, previewing this already. Can the Rebels win away from home to secure their playoff spot? You know what? I don't think they can. Um, I'd really like to see them do this, but Forsyth Par is really, really tough place to play against the Highlanders. Um, and I don't think it helps that the Highlanders, you know, they went through a bit of pain against the Crusaders, and they didn't pay, play particularly badly in that one versus, say, the Rebels that were disappointing against the Reds. So, look, if this is being played in Melbourne, I think, you know, it could be could be anyone's game. I think over there in New Zealand, there's only going to be one result, and that'll be the Highlanders coming out on top. Now, fortunately, I, I have to agree. <clears throat> the Rebels still not playing well after 80 minutes to take out a, a strong New Zealand team away from home, and, and Forsyth Bar is a fortress. So, obviously, we want the Rebels to win, and but they've got the early time slot. Um, they're not going to have a vision of their future. They're just going to have to play out of their skins. Um, I think the Highlanders will probably still be too strong and, and they'll be looking to solidify their own position on the table to make sure that they're playing um, if, uh, the weakest opponent can, they can manage. Yeah, unfortunately, I guess I have to agree with you boys there. Um, I'd love to see the Rebels come out strong and really go for a <coughs> win here, but even with a bonus point, um, to keep it close enough, that well, would really help them in terms of their, their playoff sort of hopes. Um Moving on, the Canterbury Crusaders down at AMI Stadium, um, no longer Wyatt Crockett Stadium. 
um, that take on the Blues, the top versus the bottom of the New Zealand Conference. And really, you'd think, even if the Crusaders rest a few players, there's only one way this can go. Crusaders taking home a, another win to improve their, their win streak up to 12. Arch, I don't know if this is going to be such a foregone conclusion. I think Crusaders might rest quite a few of their players. I think they might put out a half-strength team. And the Blues, although... It's really tough to pick against the Crusaders. I think the Blues actually might be able to might be able to do this. If if anything, I think it'll just be super close. If the Crusaders do play a full strength lineup, um, <clears throat> I'd definitely take them. Um, but I just get the feeling that they've locked up that top spot, um, and probably some of their guys could do with a little bit of rest after you know uh, All Blacks June series and then another couple of games. I think that they might actually be tempted to start a few guys off the bench. Um, but we'll have to wait and see for the lineups. No, look, I think this one's pretty simple. Even Crusaders may be resting some guys if that's necessary. Uh, I think it'll still be the same clinical Crusaders uh, playing at home. The Blues, nothing to play for, not even at home. Um, I think they'll probably there'll be a few guys out there giving it a red-hot go, but I think ultimately the Crusaders will have them and um, they, they won't want to lose any momentum going into the finals. They'll still want to put up a, a really strong showing. Allianz Stadium on Saturday night and the Waratahs get another home game and they're going to get a bit of a run of this because they'll get another one for the finals. Taking on the Brumbies this week, um, a team that's obviously impressed us in the last couple of weeks, coming off sort of that run of a couple of wins and then, as we've said, falling to the Chiefs late in the game. Could this sort of put a bit of a spoil on the Tars sort of um, end of the season, uh, the Brumbies come into town to try and, you know, take a bit of take a bit of momentum away from the Tars. Yeah, maybe. Um, look, the Brumbies did put in a good showing last week. They they do have upset potential. Uh, I guess this this will prove the resolve of the Waratahs that they're they're not going to have these hiccups. And, and hesitations leading into the finals. They need to put in a strong showing. Uh, and I hope that's all they're hearing from Gibson this week is that they need to come in to their home fortress and and show how dominant they can be at home where they're going to host a finals game, maybe two. So I, I, I'm going to Waratahs here. I don't think the Brumbies will, will have it, but it's always a big, um, big derby game for the Australian Conference. So, yeah, the Brumbies will definitely keep it competitive. Yeah, the, it's a really tough game for the Waratahs to end on, but I think it's a good thing for them because it means that they won't relax leading into the finals. Um, I think if they had the Sunwolves this week, they'd be more at risk of, of really switching off, but they know the Brumbies have come back into form. They threatened the Chiefs last, last week and they had some good w- wins over the last you know four or five rounds. So I don't think by any means they'll be relaxing here. Um, I think it'll be a, one of those kind of old school derbies in some ways, probably plenty of aggression, maybe reminiscent of what we saw a little bit with the Rebels and Reds last week in terms of, you know, some combative set pieces. And um, I think quite a few guys that are really going to be fighting for their positions in the Wallabies as well. You've got some good matchups with, say, Rona and Kurandrani with that open number 13 spot for the Wallabies. Um the Waratahs should be too good here um, with a full complement. I think they have too many points in them. But we do know that the Brumbies are a very strong defensive outfit. So 
the Waratahs do, you know, struggle to get any sort of ascendancy and and score some points early. I can see this one kind of being a bit of a grinding affair. Um, but I think the fact that it's at Allianz really helps the Waratahs, um, and I think they should be good enough to get it done. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Brumbies go um, stick with that sort of tight game and do concentrate on that set piece. Uh, I'm really excited to see the Falau v Banks at the number 15 spot. Um, we've obviously seen Banks grow and grow over the last couple of weeks, so excited to see what he can do um, given if he gets a bit of space from a strong sort of forward platform in this one. But I agree, I think the Tars should get it. Um, hopefully a good win by at least 10. Next, we go over to the South African Conference and out of Joburg, the Lions are taking on the Bulls and the Bulls, bit of a spoiler for the Haguaris last week and they can almost do it again. If they beat the Lions here, that does almost open up uh, a way for the um, Haguaris to, to pinch um, top spot in that conference because they're only uh, three points in front of the Haguaris. They could end up losing their home sort of final contention if they if they let the Bulls get on top of them in this one. I have had some doubt, doubts about the Lions this season, um, and I think it's been clear that they're, they're not the team they once were. But having said that, um, I think here Warren Whiteley is definitely back again. Malcolm Marks is there. They've had another week to kind of train and get their combinations working back to what they were. We have, though, seen some teams struggle coming off the bye. I don't think that'll be the case here. I think the Lions will, in Joburg, I think they'll run all over the Bulls. Um, I think they'll they'll play a really up-tempo game. And I think you'll see the Lions dominate both physically and um, out wide with guys like Tianti going strong. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to take the Lions. And I, I'm not too worried about their, their chances here. All the all the things Toby said and 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 you know just general form at home the the Lions should have this one um, the dreaded buy hopefully doesn't rear its head for them uh, it would be very interesting to see the Hags take out the top spot and that would really throw some change around in the in the table uh, in the, in the finals matchups but yeah I, I think the Lions should win this um, it it would be a a pretty surprising upset for the Bulls to turn up and. And come over. I think they had their 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 successful rundown last week against the Hags. I don't think they've got a second one in them. Nah, give me the Bulls. I want to see them upset. I want to see the Haguaris, the Sex Panthers, get back to South America for a playoff um, spot. I'd love to see what they can do, given a couple of home games um, to run home with. Last game of the round, and it is the Sex Panthers. Down in Durban, getting out of altitude and taking on the Sharks. They've seen them up and down. Um, I think the Haguaris will be able to put it together against, as we've said, a Sharks team that has remained inconsistent in the last couple of weeks. And they'll be able to take out their playoff spot and also secure a playoff spot for the Rebels as well. Mate, I'm I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to take the Sharks. Um, I'm going to persevere. I think the pressure on the Haguaris is significant. I think they'll be really desperate to get the win so that they do, you know, give themselves the opportunity to top that conference. But the Sharks are going to want it a little bit more. Um, and I do think they do have, you know, across the board, firepower-wise, I think the Sharks can match the Haguaris. 
it's more about discipline, defense, composure, those kind of things, which I think at times both teams lack. I just I give the Sharks an edge here just because they're playing at home. I think their backline is electric enough if they put it together. If Robert Dupria shows a bit of maturity, um, matches up well, I think to the rest of the guys in the Haguaros backline that it can be a little bit erratic. I think the light, the Sharks, sorry, um, I think they can do it. I think they can probably take that last playoff spot because I think the Rebels are going to lose. So I think that'll be enough. It, it might come down to the fact that, I mean, the Rebels are playing earlier in the in the day, which could change their fortunes quite a lot, obviously. If, if the Rebels get up, the Sharks might just kind of be a bit despondent and not really get up for this game. So probably a lot depends on the result in the Rebels game. But I think, you know, provided that the playoff spot is on the line, I'm taking the Sharks. Yeah, definitely some... Um some variability in, in what how this game might go down based on the previous game. So being the last game of the regular season, I can see that the Haguaris have nothing to play for if the if the Islanders win and the Lions win. They're not actually going to change their position. They'll be in seventh and they'll be playing the Waratahs. So uh, in that sense, maybe there's, there's not as much for the Hags to play for if that's how these games play out, which is uh, the way my tips have fallen so far. <laughs> Certainly, if the Lions lost, uh, the Hags would have something there to gain, a home a home final, which would be pretty impressive um, if they could jump the Lions. Then, with the last week's loss uh, to the Bulls, I think that may have just been a little bit of the jet lag and, you know, the streak's got to come to an end at a point. So, uh, the Hagways have had another week to settle in South Africa. They'll be in the right time zone and I think they can beat the Sharks. I think they'll I think they'll get the job done and they'll go into the finals off the back of a win. That's what I'm talking about, Leo. Hags, hags for the win. Hags for the win. All right, guys. Um, I have to go to work. Leo has to go to work. Toby probably has to go to sleep. So we'll leave it there for today. Um, as always, we'll get you to sign up and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or on Pocket Casts or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Send in any questions you have. We're looking forward to a big weekend here, finally getting to talk about some finals footy, playoff footy, and it'll be interesting to see. Can the Rebels bring it out? Can Do the Sharks have a chance to make it? Or even do the Haguaros have a chance to take top spot in their conference? A lot of big questions that will obviously all be answered next week. Um, Until then, guys, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Keep on running.